Ryan Olke, what's up, brother? Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. you. Have the lovely background as always. Yeah. I don't know if you even continue improving it every single time or I, I slowly add things in over time until yeah. it's just like this total hoarding disaster behind me. <laughs> Eventually it's we... just going to be your head <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> and objects just like surrounded by geek paraphernalia. No, we've got a special guest today. Uh, I'd like to introduce Tom Servo. I was going to, uh... I didn't know if that was new or not, but it's, it's so you that I'm like, it could have already been there and I didn't notice it. <laughs> Tom Servo, for those who don't know, is uh, is our guest from uh, one of my favorite TV shows, Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, I just like to load it up back here. You know, we have fun. I love your background. It's awesome. So, um, well, it's real good to see you, brother. Good to see you, too. Well, we are here, uh, I think, with yet another um, issue that, at least for me, feels very pressing, you know, and this really syncs up with, as all of our shows do, you know what I mean? Like we, we do these shows and they sort of um, are incremental, you know, all of our shows are sort of referring to themes that we've discussed in, in previous shows. Mm -hmm. And I think today is no different. Yeah. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is inhabit your speech. And this feels again, just absolutely critical to me at this period as an integralist, looking out at the extreme fragmentation of the world that we live in, of our media institutions, our governing institutions, mm -hmm. et cetera, and feeling how that fragmentation actually is reshaping our own psyches, my own psyche, mm -hmm. and is sort of giving this broken mirror reflection of the reality around us. And I think even the best of us, even the smartest of us, the wisest of us, the most skillful of us can easily fall into some of the sort of traps that things like social media have laid out all around us. And mm -hmm. I think, in fact, we probably see this almost every day. And I continue to have this feeling that like, as integralists, if we can just find a way to name the problem, mm -hmm. we can do a better job of rising to the occasion and overcoming it. And that's what I'm hoping conversations like this lead mm -hmm. to just within our own, you know, sort of deep but narrow sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a conversation that's, that feels important and I'm looking forward to having with you. Yeah, likewise. And uh, you know, the, you said do a better job. Um, to me, this always goes back as a clear indicator that do I want to do a better job, which means that I have to look at strategy and that there's a strategy that I care about to bring about a change or transformation or whatever it might be. Um, but if one is not concerned with doing a better job, then right. either one may not be quite really at the integral <laughs> stage right. or there's shadows to work with that are getting in the way of that. So to me, I mean, honestly, a lot of times the biggest thing is, is like, just acknowledge that. And that's, that's my advice. Actually, I, I, I continue to love that you've called green pre-integral mm -hmm. and my core advice to pre-integral green is to focus on differentiating between strategy values and outcome and to focus on strategy, because if you can acknowledge that your strategy is not working, you're forced to level up, you know, but if you're, yes. if you confuse all three, then you have no reason to say, how do I do that better? You know, it's how do other people do it better? Because I'm freaking great. <laughs> you know, I'm enlightened. So this is like underlying all that for me. So this is kind of an assumption that like, 
we're ready to say like, yeah, no, I want to do this better. So let's get into this so we can get some clarification and see how we can communicate yeah. more effectively, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. That's, that's all super <clears throat> well said. And, you know, I think what a lot of this, you know, for me, again, what, what a lot of this amounts to is, um, you know, we've heard Ken talk many times about sort of the, the, the four ups of integral. It's now mm -hmm. been expanded to like five or six. Yeah, ups. I know. Let's, just, let's stick with the four just to sort of, you know, kind of keep, I got to up my ups, <laughs> right? <laughs> Grow up, yep. clean up, uh, wake up, show up. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the four ups. And I think that this conversation is really, really emphasizing that, that final up, the showing up. In other words, you know, we have done all of this work over the course of, you know, years, sometimes decades to grow up within our own interiors, right? Mm -hmm. To sort of, to, to, to move through these unfolding stages of development um, at our own pace, of course, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we, some of us push a little harder on that line than others, but there's this gradual sort of upticking of consciousness that we experience throughout our lives. We become more mature, we become more responsible, we are better able to inhabit some of the later stages of development that reveal themselves to us in this growing up process. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the path of waking up, which again, many of us have been deeply committed to for years and, uh, you know, in the guise of various spiritual practices, whether that be meditation or prayer or ecstatic dance or, you know, whatever it might be, we, we have a, a series of practices that is putting us into direct and immediate contact with universal goodness, beauty, truth, however you want to sort of convey that whatever language works the best for you to describe those kinds of territories the, the the practice of waking up helps confirm that a those territories are real b they are an essential part of you and of me and of the we that exists between the two of us and it requires a lot of work i mean there's a little bit of sweat that goes into both growing up and waking up. And then of course we have cleaning up the, the process of doing shadow work and recovering these sort of fragmented splintered pieces of ourselves that we may have left behind in previous stages of development, for example, or even mm -hmm. pieces of ourselves that um, sort of get paved over in the, in the waking up progress. There are certain mm -hmm. kinds of shadows that are associated with states. And Ken Wilber mm -hmm. has done an amazing job of sort of documenting these different kinds of dysfunction that can occur in either the growing up line or the waking up line. And it requires cleaning up work to do. Now, all of this, the growing up, the waking up and the cleaning up is all taking place sort of in our own interiors. Some of it is taking place between us, right? Like there's an intersubjective kind of piece to this, but the, the sort of the locus, the, the real focus of the action when it comes to growing up, waking up, cleaning up is it's all taking place within our own subjective interior consciousness. And then we get to the last up, which is show up. And for me, this is, this is like the tipping point, right? This is when all of that work that we've done in our interiors, the years, the decades of practice and cultivation of various skills and ways of enacting the world, all of this tips over and begins to spill out into these other quadrants. That's when we begin to notice how we relate with each other, the quality of our relationships, the quality of sort of the, the environments that we find ourselves in, how those environments are actually 
influencing and sometimes even directly shaping our own perceptions, our own relationships with each other and our own behaviors in the mm. world. All of this, I think, is part of this crucial showing up practice where we get to sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's like these are the fruits of all the inner work that we've mm. been doing. Um, it's sort of the culmination in a certain kind of way. And mm. it's not like these things happen in a sequence. It's, you know, you first you do your growing up. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, there's a simultaneity to all this. As we're growing up, we're also figuring out how to better show mm-hmm. up, um, yeah. et cetera. Which to me, I think shows how important, how critical and how um, irreducible really all four of these different kinds of practices are in the relationship that they have with each other and how mm-hmm. it sort of calls us to, you know, as, as we were just talking about, to do better, to be better, mm-hmm. to, you know, light a flame in the dark, to do whatever we can to sort of, you know, I was just doing some writing a couple of days ago and I was saying, you know, I, I, I tend to live, I find that I often live in two worlds. One world is like the ideal where I get to imagine, hey, what would it be like if we had, you know, a population whose center of gravity was integral and here's are the integral systems that we would create and what the world might look like. That's the ideal kind of science fiction integral world I like to live in. And then I also live in this real world with all of its challenges and pains and limitations, et cetera. And the reason I like to inhabit both worlds is so that I can dedicate my own life's work to trying to close the gap between them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I know I'm probably not going to see the promised land (laughs) in my lifetime, but damn it, I'm going to dedicate myself Mm -hmm. and my passions and my vocation to doing whatever I can to bringing those two worlds just a little bit closer together so that, hey, maybe our kids will have a chance of, of seeing that world. Yeah. Um, all of which is to say, I think that this conversation speaks directly to that process of learning how to show up more fully in a more fulfilling and mm-hmm. satisfying way in the world that, you know, where we can actually exert a little bit more influence and maybe kind of mm-hmm. nudge this, you know, nudge the world kind yeah. of in the direction we'd like to see it going. Yeah, awesome overview. Uh, thanks for, for setting us up. I, I love like, my preambles. <laughs> no, they're great. I mean, it's, it's awesome, man. You, 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 I can tell you know how to do this. <laughs> so, um, you know, one thing just to add, not much to add there in terms of prepping us here, but for showing up, you know, um, typically, and I do this a lot too, is, is, is framing it as a result, you know, fruition, because that makes sense. It's like the other ones have this sense of like practicing for something, and then showing up, we get to see like how all that's being integrated, right? And how that's transforming and, and changing how we show up. Um, but I often do like to note that when we show up, it's like the greatest source material we have that then influences why to practice. Because without that, then that's sometimes where we can get the idealization gets too great yes. because we're, we're, it's not connected. It's so, you know, we're talking about inhabit your speech. So it's like, well, what happens when you inhabit your speech? Well, surely it's going to show like how practice has been helpful, but it's also going to show where the edges are, where the really a lot of times it's not even, we, we talk a lot about practice of like uh, identifying our edge, identifying what's missing, working with it, you know, boom, boom, but it's just like, you're in it and you're like, oh, here's what's not working. And, right. and it just neutrally, it's not, who cares even love labeling it growing up or cleaning up. It's just like, 
oh, here's something that's not working that well in my engagement or in our engagement in, in communication. Well, okay, I want to work on this. This is new right. source material to throw back in to all of the ups. Um, so just starting yep. out there is another. No, it's beautiful because there's sort of a, there's a tension as always, right? There's a, there's a tension in the polarity between sort of a perception of lack, for example, yep. and a perception of abundance. And we can see how both lack and abundance really factor into, again, all of these paths. Right. I mean, oftentimes when we're growing up, when we want to do the work to grow up, it's because, you know, not only because there's some idealized, you know, sort of vision of who we can be in our minds, but there's also pain that we are pushing right. against, right? There's something yeah. that we're pushing away from in yeah. order to get us closer towards something else. And of yeah. course, every stage that we grow through brings with it more abundance. And of course, the spiritual practice is all about shifting from lack to abundance, right? A perception uh -huh. of shifting from a perception of separateness and mm -hmm. lack comes with separateness. Mm -hmm. I need something. I don't have it. I need to mm -hmm. get it right. And I feel this kind of palpable lack in my heart or in my gut or wherever you might feel it. And spiritual practice, I think helps, helps convert that sensation of lacking into a sensation of abundance. Um, mm -hmm. We can also talk about lack and, and abundance when it comes to the path of cleaning up. I don't want to dwell on it too much here, but mm -hmm. you know, I think when it comes to showing up again, at least showing up at integral stages, I think is, is, is again, there's this tipping point from lack to abundance. Like we're showing up <laughs> why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. <laughs> it's not just a phase. Uh. Yeah. Uh, a good clickbait title right there. Um, yeah. Ironically, clickbait, of course, is one of the problems that Jonathan Haidt is pointing out uh, in this article. But, you know, I was thinking maybe in the beginning of the show, we can actually, you know, I wrote down a sort of a, a list of bullet points of, of what was mentioned in this article. And it got me so excited because Jonathan Haidt is speaking directly to themes that I've been trying to varying degrees of success over the months and the years to kind of, you know, put my finger on. And it feels almost like, you know, Jonathan kind of stepped into, yeah. he inhabited my head yeah. and, and was able to express these things far more eloquently and with more authority uh, than I've been, than I've been able to. So this, this, um, this article really has me kind of turned on right now. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I haven't got to read it, but it's definitely since you just passed it to me not uh, too long ago, but uh, I'm uh, looking forward to it. And even just your description of it points to something here and talking about inhabiting your speech, like for somebody to be able to write an articulate article like this, that is truly engaging and meaningful requires inhabiting speech. It's in written form. And 100%. I think I've been noticing slowly, it feels like it uh, in the last year or so, articles or forms of media popping up like in the more organic broader scope of of culture things like this where it's starting to feel like integral yes. you know yes. in a very natural way which feels good almost taking me by surprise a little bit almost like is this for real like is, you know it's not just like more specialty or niche you know like in the communities that we're a part of where there's a lot of great um discussion and and works in there but like to now be in big sources yeah. and networks it's like wow yeah okay <laughs> yeah no i feel the same way whenever you see an article like this and you know it didn't come through an integral network it yep. didn't come from a guy who you know i mean i, I don't know if jonathan's familiar even whatsoever with ken's work yep. and it just it reinforces this idea that integral is not 
a brand, right? It's not even yep. a theory. There is an integral brand. There is an integral theory. I've devoted my career to sort of, you know, to both but of remember. those things. But integral is yeah. also a general stage. And people at this stage are going to make observations from this stage. Yes. And those observations are naturally going to align in yep. really, really interesting ways, even if we don't, you know, I mean. Again, no, that's really guys, important to, to know yeah, because exactly this is like, if it truly is a stage and it seems like it is, then it's inevitable. Like if this is the inevitable progression of human evolution at some point it's just going to be like everybody's integral right we don't talk about we don't ever talk about like every if, every, if you know majority of people's you know from rational level development it's like we, we're not laying like oh who was the person who identified at first we right. don't care we're beyond that that's like it's that's how it is so that's like right. eventually we have to let go and say like it doesn't matter where this person's coming from it's like what they're producing very much embodies this and that's what I, we want to see personally that's what i yep. want to see is just like where nobody i ever even heard of they don't even know of kin's work and it's just because it means it's we're, we're slowly transforming that's right no it does two things for me it confirms for me well reinforces my own perception that a the territory is real right because more yes. people are beginning to stake it out right? right even if they have different maps than i do they are staking out the same territories that mm -hmm. we've been looking at for again decades yeah um right. B, it also confirms the map itself because the map yeah. has certain sort of uh, predictive elements to it. Like the map predicts that a stage of development will not come online in a sort of full-throated way, right? It will not come online until the life conditions require it to. Right. Require. And we've been saying how like, guys, this is it. We're, yeah, we're we feel in, like we're in a very we're requiring. <laughs> We're living those life conditions right now. Yeah. Like we are. That's the silver lining. It really is. I mean, to me, it's, you know, it reinforces this idea that I've been sort of repeating that like, man, Ken Wilber, bless his heart, was like 30 years too soon. No, that's amazing. Soon. Yeah. And now that's part of the unfolding because <laughs> yeah. Ken helped give us a foundation, right? So that now these life conditions are beginning to sort of drop down on our heads. We have a sort of a robust network of people and perspectives and practices yeah. to draw upon to kind of put Humpty Dumpty back together. Yeah, and the maps will be incredibly useful for navigating it. So like if there is a, you know, a map like what Ken has produced is generally useful, it'll continue being useful as a template or as just something as a reference point, which, you know, happens a lot. You know, there's developmental uh, maps that are used, you know, in education for kids and things like that so yeah. continues being relevant but there is a difference between the map and then the organic uh expression of it yep the culture yep totally well cool, cool. i want to summarize some of the points yep. in this article i mean first off i advise everyone watching right now to go read it for yourself uh it's in the atlantic um i think it was published very recently last few days um fantastic article but here's a, a basic kind of again, bullet point summary of what he's talking about in this article. And we can pause on any of these, Ryan, too. Yeah, sounds good. So, so Jonathan Haidt begins this article, I think, with two um, metaphors that I think, um, again, feel fully aligned with a lot of the observations that I've been making, as well as sort of the entire kind of spirit of integral itself. And the first one, you know, he compares what we're going through right now to the parable of the Tower of Babel. Um, the idea being that, you know, in the original sort of st biblical story, uh, the, the people were fragmented by uh, speaking multiple languages. Now, I know this is a problem you can appreciate, Ryan, as someone who speaks like, I don't know, you're like 
you speak like three dead languages. I'm, and- a, I'm a language nerd for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure you are. In our case, Jonathan Haidt says we are fragmented because we are, quote, disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We are cut off from one another and from the past. This is, I think, a critical observation and, and- is is exacerbated, I think, by the fact that, you know, I've observed several times that it seems like over the last five or six years, maybe a little bit longer, one of the biggest things that has changed in our own interiors is sort of the the emergence of a political identity as being just primary, like the primary lens that we see ourselves through and that we see each other through. And the problem is, is that lens has become so opaque that we actually can't see each other through it any longer. Mm -hmm. We can barely Mm -hmm. see ourselves through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I might be asking you questions then, which will, uh, since you've read the whole article. So I assume that he probably gives, maybe it's a whole freaking article of like, what, what is he liking that to, or, or, or the causes of this? Is it like kind of like a cultural war, the developmental thing or, I don't know if he would even go that far. That would be amazing if that's pointing that out. But is that, what does he notice source of this disconnect? So for Babel, it was multiple languages, right? Yes. In yep. literal so, languages. <laughs> but so th- again, this is this is what reinforced the fact that, um, you know, I really think Haidt is an uh, is, uh, mm-hmm. intrinsically integral thinker. Yep. He points to factors in, yeah, every quadrant. He points to factors in every quadrant. So he, uh-huh. he points to technological factors, which we'll talk about in yeah. a second. He mm-hmm. points to cultural sort of feedback loops that form uh, out of those technological factors. He talks about even things like um, parenting, for example, how parenting has changed yeah. uh, over the generations and how that contributes to the problems. Um, and, and we'll see much of this when we actually get to his, yep. his list of, of recommendations, which mm. we will be adding to um, mm. in this show. So yeah, he, mm. he, he really does have a, mm. uh, again, I don't think he even is aware really of interesting. the four quadrants as a heuristic, but he's, he's intuitively using them. It's really interesting. And so since I haven't read the article, I don't have the internal organization of, of bullet points in my head. So I know I may jump ahead. No, and forth, totally but not, yeah. You can rein me in, but what comes up for me is, yeah. So we, we lack a point of unification Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what that's saying. You know, it's comparison Tower of Babel. And in the past, you know, I'm just mostly familiar with the US culture, might have been country, a sort of sense of like, yeah, we are the United States. I actually also think like basic common decency kind of thing, mm-hmm. which Joe Biden kind of represented for even regardless of like, you know, approval polls. And I don't, there wasn't very many people who would be like, this guy's going to change everything. Right. But there was a sense of like a desperation for some mm-hmm. of us to just be like hey like even that would feel okay and like a common yeah. point like so that's been lost uh, uh, you know like how do we find some unification point but then we have this thing of all of acknowledging the differentiation you know and the pluralism and in, in culture and, and solving the, these problems so it's a really interesting point of like where do we find the unification um and it seems like reflected i'm sure he acknowledges all this but we see it so much every day like politically it's just almost like a boring given even though it's yep. a catastrophe uh, of just like yeah yeah of course we're not gonna uh, we're not yep. agreeing on anything whatever it's just every day um so it's interesting so that brings up the question for me and again i want to emphasize if we're like organically living this and like using showing up as as saying like i want to find out what's not working 
like with right. me, with us, not just like out there, like I got it all figured out, you know, no, it's just like, well, what is it? So yeah, how do we get reoriented, right? I'm sure yep. he's going to provide suggestions, like you said, but I like to put in the question and invite people listening too to, to like inhabit the question could be another episode. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the kind of guy who likes to read the last three pages of a book before you, before you begin it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're heading us yeah. off at the past here. No, and it's great. Yeah, no, I, I figured what that's why I said I was going to ring me. In, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer just, your question. I'm going to skip ahead yeah. just a few bullets because he, yeah. um, he actually uh, looks at three factors um, that lead to the sort of breakdown of trust that we're seeing to get to today. Mm. He calls them, uh, let's see here, uh, social capital, which means extensive social networks with high levels of trust. That's mm. the first factor. Second mm. factor is strong institutions. Mm. And the third factor is shared stories. Mm. Now he doesn't necessarily specify the common factor the, or, or what's uniting all of these shared stories. But I think it does get to something that you mentioned, which is a healthy and robust national identity, which <laughs> is sort of the health, you know, I like to regard as sort of a healthy conservatism within myself and feels like the lesson that we might have learned or should have learned from <laughs> the rise of Trump and sort of the, the, the jingoistic nationalistic language uh, in his messaging that brought him you know, to his ascension. And mm. I feel like that, that the reason why that nationalism, a broken nationalism, I would say, but it's a broken nationalism that emerged in a vacuum where healthy nationalism should be. What, what was the second one, Corey? Uh, the second one was uh, strong institutions. And yeah, we're, okay. we're talking governing institutions, media institutions, scientific institutions, economic you know. institutions, all of which are anything but strong, at least the way we enact them today. Yeah, great. That's awesome. And, you know, it's a random thing that made me think of. It made me think of you because you pointed this stuff out before about messaging with mm -hmm. the political parties, which is by extension, something about like speech, right? Mm -hmm. It's a kind of standalone specific form. But I don't know if you saw the recent, like, I don't know what, uh, was it a CPAC? Uh, I don't know, is that what it's called? CPAC Republican convention? It looked like a Trump. There's about, so there's AFPAC, which is sort of the- uh... There was something that just happened like within a week and it was just looked like a uh, kind of more of a Trump fest, but um, I don't know, I saw a tagline with it and here's the thing, like as an integral person, like be like, do I like that, the ideas in the community? Like, no, but I have to acknowledge a good tagline when I see it. And their tagline was awake, not woke. And I was like, oh, it's like, okay. I, I did it like, I'm just, I'm just, I did that first guys. Did you I have a show with Mark Fischler called from woke to awake. So clearly oh, CPAC yeah. is ripping us off here, dude. Of course. And again, like, no, forget, an I'm just like, in terms of messaging, I'm like, man, they keep doing, they keep doing great they with do. one liners. It's like hundred percent. For their community, it was like, yep. that was a home run. I was like, oh, man. Yep. No, <laughs> Anyways, it's too conservative. Kind of an aside, I know, because it would just made me think of like shared stories and things like that. I'm just like, whatever they may be, like I disapprove of. I'm like, like they get an A plus on taglines. That is such an important <laughs> point. You know, I yeah. conservatives are better than progressives when it comes to these shared stories that they're able to communicate and that deeply resonate with their own base. Now, the problem is... We see a, a diminishment, I think, of shared stories that unite sort of all these different ideologies, right? Yeah, it yeah. used to be that our two parties were yeah. cast as loyal opposition. Well, we've lost the loyalty and we've amped up the opposition mm -hmm. to the point now where every, you know, both sides of the political divide believe they are the true patriotic Americans and therefore need to push the other set of people's ideas 
out of the country entirely, which is obviously not patriotism. We don't have that common sort of field that's uniting, again, all of these kind of warring ideologies and sort of delivering us to a common sense of similarity, a common sense of shared identity with yeah. each other, which again is, yeah. the, is the vacuum, I think, where a healthy nationalism should be. And this is mm. the reason why we see this regression on both sides of the aisle, on the mm. left and on the right, back mm -hmm. towards this kind of hard amber that is now dissociated in many mm. ways from the sorts of orange and green mm. uh, fruits of civilization that we've mm. been able to enjoy for the last hundred mm. years or so. Mm. Which yeah. it brings me to, to yeah, Jonathan Haidt's second major point here, which is, again, just a thoroughly integral point, especially to lead a discussion with. He says, there is a direction to history, and it is toward cooperation at larger scales. I... Man, mm, I yeah. am just a sucker for anyone with a good meta narrative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is the integral. There is a growth towards increasing cooperation. In the 2010, it's Ken calls this a growth towards increasing differentiation and increasing integration. So at every stage, mm. we have a, a, a wider variety of possible forms and roles and expressions, etc., mm. which brings with it a higher capacity to integrate that multitude of roles and perspectives into a higher sort of social hold on in this case. Mm. Um, this is exactly what, what Jonathan Haidt is pointing to when he cool. says there is a direction in history towards greater cooperation. However, <laughs> mm -hmm. there's the, you know, it's, it's not a straight line. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bumpy road. And right now we are experiencing one of these dips, which he believes, and mm -hmm. I probably agree is going to get worse before it gets better mm. for all these reasons that we'll, yeah. you know, continue yeah. to get into. Mm -hmm. um, he also mentions how, uh, let's see here, social media began to, and this is where he really starts seeing, um, as do I, this kind of breaking point where we sort of, you know, were at sort of a plateau and began to plummet. And he sees mm -hmm. it not just with social media in general, but with the innovation of things like like and share buttons, which seem totally innocuous, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would, would expect that yeah. a, putting a like button on a post would directly lead to like the collapse of democracy. But, mm -hmm. but here we are. Um, yeah. He actually says, you know, we might have just handed a four-year-old a loaded weapon, um, yeah. which, which I think is great. He says, uh, social media began to train users to spend more time performing and less time connecting, which I think is completely uh, mm. spot on. And yeah. it encouraged uh, dishonesty and mob dynamics as we were sort of setting the stage for this new right. uh, kind of uh, what he calls viral dynamics. Um, yeah, well, point. this relates to something I wrote down earlier that when we use the word speech, it can obviously, it leans a little bit to one side for me a lot of times, but that's just in our culture maybe, but two options. One is the monologue, right? Mm -hmm. To give a speech. If you're in a high school and say, I got to give a speech, right? For class, that's what that means. Hop in front of the class and and talk for a while. So it's a sense of static monologue and, and there's not an engagement. And you know that's what happens on social media a lot. It feels yes. that way. It takes some effort to feel that there's a real time communication. Sometimes you get that with comments, you know, but like, it's hard, you know, yes. to, to even with good intentions to feel like there's, this like what you and I are doing right now That's right. Um, and so it probably just doubles down on that which gets away from speech as something active relational 
adaptive responsive organic um yeah which is how it is just even even at different developmental levels there's a, there's something much more organic when it's happening in real time that's right yeah that's right no 100 percent true you know this is this is why we have said multiple times in the show that when we are in a, interacting with each other online Mm-hmm. We have to consciously inhabit the same level of sort of mindfulness that we unconsciously do when we are face to face. That's a good way of saying that. Yeah. You know, right. Because we don't have that, you know, body language, right? We're, res- we're responding yeah. to signifiers and a little rectangle on a screen that, you know, especially when there's not a name on it, it's just an anonymous screen name attached to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so disembodied. That's been something that's been changing a little bit, at least I don't know, in the community's we're a part of where there's more and more of an emphasis on like use your real name use your a photo or otherwise like not not doing it That's which right. i'm kind of like about i'm like i really don't have interest in in engaging with a person who's anonymous unless they're they're doing something really huge in society where the anonymity feels required <laughs> like like blowing you know, whistleblower or something. <laughs> well, dude, especially when you have your real name out there, especially yeah. if you do things yeah. like this, like go onto camera yeah. and share your views and, right. you know, you're putting to some degree yeah. skin in the game. Yep. And then when you have people who are just coming at you for, with anonymous screen names, it's like, yeah. I've got all the skin in the game and you've got no skin in the game. Yeah. And yet you're, you know, you're, you're something we got to get a hostile interaction. Something we're going to have to get tired of, you know, yeah, like it, 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 gets before it gets better. So it's like, well, maybe it yep. needs to get worse. Yep. That's right. Uh, let's see. Hi also notices yeah. that uh, both the left and the right have been impacted by this, but in slightly different ways. Uh, I personally think this is why we've seen so much backslide and regression on both sides of the political aisle towards MAGA and QAnon conspiracy theories on the right and towards sort of broken woke extremism uh, and the essentialism on the left, both of which are a breakdown of, again, these sort of political cultures into its hard amber absolutist forms. And that absolutism actually, ironically, for reasons we'll talk about a little bit later, ironically get reinforced by the postmodern platforms that they're sort of taking place on. Mm-hmm. I already mentioned uh, Hype believes it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, he yeah. actually mentioned Steve Bannon by name here, uh, particularly Bannon's quote that, quote, the best way to deal with media is to flood the zone with shit. This is the fire <laughs> yeah. hose of falsehoods model that you know we yeah. sort of uh, inherited from from the right. Russian media paradigm, right. uh, and it's a tactic that is used to keep populations confused, disoriented, and angry. And guess what? It fucking works. Yeah, and in well, fact, we get addicted to those feelings of outrage and anger, and yeah. we want more, 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 more. Yeah, it's even more uh, effective, um, you know, with uh, social media. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Social media spreads it. The funny thing is, it used to require actual human beings Uh to write to 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 create the shit that we're flooding the zone with. Now it's like there's artificial intelligence that's able to create passing bullshit, right? That like you wouldn't normally know is is not coming from a human being. There is now like essay writing AI bots that are now flooding the zone um which is about as dystopian (laughs) as i can fucking imagine right totally um so now we get to i think the 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 really juicy part which is what do we do about it and height has a couple recommendations i think we're going to have some of our own as well so 
Uh, his suggestions are, uh, let's see here, we must harden democratic institutions so that they can withstand chronic anger and mistrust. Uh -huh. We must reform social media so that it becomes less socially corrosive and better prepare the next generation for democratic citizenship in this new age. So basically, we're talking about mm. strengthening governing institutions, changing or transforming our social media technologies, and transforming our approach to education itself in order to create more resiliency. And this is important, yeah. Brian, because, yeah. you know, we're Gen X. And the generation sort of, you know, before us were the boomers, obviously. We should have more capacity to see this for what it is because we lived in an analog world. Now we live in a digital world. We have memories of what the world was like before we kind of took this slide yeah. into total a perspective of madness. Now, mm -hmm. I don't think many of us have noticed because it's sort of one of those boiling the frog problems. You know what I mean? Like you, mm -hmm. you, you don't notice that you handed the, the, the revolver to the four-year-old child until the trigger yeah. was already pulled. Yeah. And here we are. Um, yeah. But you know, the younger generations, this is all they've known. They're, they're, they're born into this right. perspective of madness. Right. And that's why I think he's suggesting that we uh, start taking another look at how we're educating our youth, both in terms of like our, you know, academic institutions, but also just in the level of parenting. You and I are going to yeah. do a show down the line sometime yeah. uh, inhabit your fatherhood, which I'm looking yeah. forward to where we can yeah. talk about some of these issues, but yeah, parenting is, is um, critical here. Yeah. You know, it goes back to what you mentioned about what he said, think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because the interesting thing is like, these are strategies to fix it. But the thing is, is like, people have to want, they have to see that it's bad enough to want to do those things. And like, it keeps looking like that collectively, we're not quite collectively enough of us tired of how it is in order to change it. But the other option would be, is that something is creative that is so incentivizing so appealing that it's hard to resist you know so when like facebook came out and twitter and things like that they were just so appealing regard and you know it's just like oh gotta do this this is gonna yep. be fun it's offering me something that's impossible otherwise and i don't know what that is i mean i know that more and more especially in this last year and recent months uh dows have been coming up mm. big time i mean mm -hmm. just all over the place and so it's like, who knows, maybe there's going to be structures and forms that emerge from some of the people who are seeing these things and want to create something that will be so appealing that people can't resist, you know. Um, but until that point, it looks like we we have more to go downward in terms of getting yeah. tired of it. So that way we can say, yeah, let's reform social media. But right now it's like, how many people actually want to reform social media? That's people right. Like, nah, I like it just how it is. <laughs> yeah. We're more addicted to being outraged by each other. Yeah. Right. Then we are being outraged by the fact that we're always outraged by each other. Because that's have to what get it's like... going to take. It's going to take that meta outrage of like, I'm just sick of, I'm sick of being tired. I'm yeah. sick of, I'm sick yeah. of being exhausted by all of this. And I can now see it more yeah. systemically. It's not yep. that you are the problem, right? Or that group is yep. the problem. It's like, yep. This whole dynamic is fucked from the get-go and we yeah. have to do something yeah. to pull ourselves to another level. Yeah. And I mean, these suggestions sound really great. So I'm well, just hoping we get, keep going. It's, it's, yeah. it's one, another reason why I love this article, Ryan, is like, he's, he's again, reflecting shit that we've been talking about in shows like this forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't even know how many shows ago where I was talking about, you know, Corey's three ideas. To yeah. Yeah. No, they were great. Right. Yeah. And yeah. one of those was, you know, we need to make a shift from first past the post voting 
which yeah. creates a lot of this division in the first place, right? Yeah. Uh, to something like ranked choice voting, which yeah. Jonathan Haidt names as one of the you know possibly most effective solutions, at least in terms of 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 restoring our governing institutions. Um, uh-huh. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that the only two oh. GOP senators who voted for Justice Jackson uh-huh. both came from ranked choice states. Um, I, I wasn't really quite aware that there were some ranked choice states. <laughs> yeah, I know Maine is. Uh, yeah, Maine awesome. is a ranked choice. And I think uh, Alaska. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. It's encouraging to know that there's at least a few examples out there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. He's also got a few suggestions to reform social media itself, which we were just talking about things like user verification. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if people still want to use anonymous screen names, at least find a way to confirm well, that, that it's a human being and, and so not. These are the things that, that have been coming up big time. I mean, that's been happening more over the last like three or four or five years, where again, the fringes, but you're seeing that like where people identify like verifying my identity through this service, through this other third party service. Like, I want you to know that this is actually me. And, and like, I'll provides things of like if somebody else tries to impersonate you, but like, it's just like you're seeing those things come up, you know, it's not really user friendly and, and uh, not like people are going to adopt it uh universally but the, the they're starting to the seeds are there so it's got to be part of a platform that people love so like if twitter just decided like hey we're going to enforce this well then boom that would be huge <laughs> yep but no that's that's but, that, but that's just waiting that's a random thing we don't know if, if someone like twitter is ever going to do that it's an important point because it helps remind us i think as integralists it helps remind us that there's more to this than like oh let's just create a whole bunch of new sort of integral structures up here yeah. Right. What structures that maybe we as integrals absolutely love, we see the mm-hmm. value of, blah, 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 blah. But if those structures do not create immediate benefit for really all stages of development leading immediate up to benefit, the integral, yep. it doesn't get selected for. You've basically wasted your time creating structures that cannot measurably impact people's lives in a positive way. Yep. And so it just sort of remains vaporware. Right. Yeah, totally. I think the challenge here is to think of integral solutions that can downsample. And again, as you're saying, create right. that immediate, like, oh, well, this is obviously better. And that's why, like, yeah, the downsampling and, and immediate benefit to all the developmental levels. This is why I go like in a Maslow's hierarchy kind of thing, going down levels of needs, you know? Yeah. So this is why for me, like, economic solutions are to me, it's an obvious one. It's just like benefit the poor and the middle class universally. It's going to be a hard thing for people to resist if it's a true benefit, even if they're just like, I want to get on board. It's just like you make the benefits so big and and relevant that they can't refuse it. But if it's a benefit that's only clearly beneficial to, say, an integral level, it's like, well, only integral people are going to want to do it. Or only if it's green, it's the only green. You know, it's got to like, how do we get it all the way down or down far enough that you tip it over into majority and you know that 52% really isn't a majority in this country. So you've got to click up to 60 plus. You know? Yep. Well, you know, one of the things that gives me hope, um, it's, it's a double, I feel like it's a double-edged sword, um, but is the fact that we have seen in young people the, the, the levels of anxiety, depression, and even suicide are higher now than I believe since we've been sort of tracking the data and they have been spiking alongside social media adoption, Hmm. right? So one of Jonathan Haidt's suggestions here is guys, don't give your kids social media until they're out of puberty. 
Like these days, 12 year olds, 13 year olds are getting exposed to this stuff. He says, wait till they're 16. Way into their brains are at least somewhat formed enough yeah. to be able to handle the right. enormous sort of, you know, conforming pressures that come with social media. Uh-huh. That itself is going to help create more resiliency. Um, I, I, I'm <laughs> hoping that these generations are going to get tired of their own fucking anxiety, yeah. right? And then that pushes them to do something about it to, again, to get into their own paths of growing mm-hmm. up and waking up and particularly cleaning up. And unfortunately that cleaning up for these generations is going to, is going to include a lot of shadows that they themselves didn't generate, but were sort of imposed on them from yeah. Xers and boomers who created these technologies to begin with. Um, but I'm hoping that that anxiety creates just this pressure, this cultural pressure where people just eventually say this, this isn't how we should be living our lives, right? Yeah. There's a better way. There's a better yeah. path here and we just have to co-create it together. Yep. Yep. Um, that's my hope. I'm just thinking, remember uh, when we were kids where the, the biggest thing uh, parents had to worry about with respect to media was don't sit too close to the TV. Remember? Right. <laughs> that was the, the extent of just, at least if you're watching you step back and you're done. <laughs> we have to do the complexity of don't be on instagram and whatever the hell else, hell else is new that kids are using and not using i can't keep track of <laughs> i'm I, done I, i'm done signing up for new social media platforms unless it's truly revolutionary <laughs> there's the old joke of our parents saying like don't believe everything you hear on tv yeah. and then immediately believing everything they see on the internet <laughs> yes that's really funny <laughs> so these are these are the types of um remedies and interventions that mm. um jonathan Haidt is is suggesting yeah i would say the only thing that's lacking in this article is uh interventions these are all interventions for systems for cultures for even small communities and groupings like you know family for example mm-hmm. but i think one of the things that we've been kind of interjecting throughout this conversation even you know for the last almost hour that we've been having it There's also necessary interventions for the eye, for the upper left quadrant, things that we can do with and within our own consciousness right now in order to, um, again, create enfoldment mechanisms. You know, this is, this Mm -hmm. is actually interesting. So, so I've been using the term enfoldment mechanisms to talk about the total loss of, um, curation uh, in our media, right? It used to be we had like Walter Cronkite's type media personalities who would say, this is more true than that. Right. Here's what to pay attention to. Right. If it doesn't make it to air, you don't have to pay attention to it. And it was sort of a way of creating yeah. a, a stack of partial truths into something uh-huh. that resembles a, a greater truth. Right. He uses the same, well, very, very similar terminology here. Let me, uh, let me find this real quick. Yeah, so what I've been calling enfoldment mechanisms Height called mechanisms, and he's talking about in governing right here, mm-hmm. mechanisms to slow things down, cool passions, require compromise, and give leaders some insulation from the mania of the moment while still holding them accountable mm-hmm. to the people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that obviously applied. That's an enfoldment mechanism that was actually built into the Constitution itself, largely because of people like you know Madison who saw this stuff kind of coming, right? 
This was built into the constitution itself. I think the point I'm trying to make is we can take that out of the exteriors, out of the systems and install that into our own personal operating systems. Mm. We need our own enfoldment mechanisms right here in our heads and in our hearts to help us navigate the aperspectival madness that our world has just sort of become. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this is where two critical concepts start to come in. One is the Buddhist notion of right speech. Mm. I'm going to let you riff on as sort of mm. the resident Buddhist geek. <laughs> yeah. And then the Quaker ideal of let your next words come from your highest self, which is often the framing that Ken Wilber has talked about when it comes to how do we create more productive, more harmonious, more integral communities. He always suggests that as sort of the primary micro practice that every sentence we type is coming from our highest self, which um, I, it feels to me like a really, really critical invitation. Yeah. You know, and what I'd advise, like on a practical level, this is just my own intuition working with people, you know, one-on-one -on -one in groups. Um, and I bias towards that so to skillful means, you know, so this is not criticizing any other language. It's just like, oh, well, what will work the most? And sometimes it's different for every person. Right. But, um, we, we call the show inhabit. And so, and this is a, the best word that I've come across to point to a sense of embodiment, but it's not about perfection, you know, because when it comes to embodiment, there, there's no really thing as perfection, unless we go to the waking up level, but every other than that, everything is just happening all at once and there's evolving and shadows and everything like that. So there's never a completion and we're done. Maybe there is some <laughs> final point. We're nowhere near that. doesn't seem like right now. So like coming from my highest self, some, a lot of times that it, it, practically speaking, it puts a person into some idealizing state of they're trying to search for it or construct something. But I would just offer like, become present as much as you can, as I can, like right here and let my speech arise from my being. And it is what it is. Right. And then when it happens, I'll see what was useful and what could be better or what's missing, or it could be any number of things, but like, even from a creative standpoint, just like, Hey, there's probably maybe what I say just works great that time. Okay. But another time, well, there's something missing. So like that would be what I'd say is like continue the inhabiting process, which includes cleaning up, growing up, showing up, waking up. Um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that's the best we have. And it, it, it brings in like genuine depth, as much depth as we have in this moment, it will bring it forward. Yep. And there's humility yes. because if we're inhabiting, because if it's like, you know, we can be like highest self is could be like kind of to waking up self, you know, and it's like perfection. Mm -hmm. Like I am speaking like Samatabhadra, <laughs> the embodiment <laughs> of reality. Um, so how could I be wrong, you know? But if it's like, hey, where are all these things? You know, heaven and earth, the classic meaning of that through yeah. us. We did a um, show uh, many, many episodes ago. We were talking about uh, the polarity of confident humility. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what bringing both of these two sort right. of practices together, that's what it helps cultivate. Yeah, totally. Now with the right speech thing, it's interesting in the context of Buddhism, Often, at least in Tibetan Buddhist context, it, we considered a little bit more of like a first turning uh, kind of approach, which can involve like, it's not necessarily limited to that, you know, I'm not going to say that, but like often it is so like right speech, right, we use that thing right, 
And of course, in the modern context, we might find other translations of that, soften it, make it, you know, try to evolve it. But it's like, it's in a context too, where there are like um, precepts and things that you should do or you shouldn't do. And so a rule-based kind of thing, which can be really helpful sometimes, right? To like help us find momentum in the right track. But then later it's got to evolve. And so you go down to like tantric practice later and it's saying like everything is of use and practice. Mm -hmm. So rather than renouncing something, take it and try to transform it. So inhabit it. So if there's anger, inhabit that and then see how the energy of that anger can be transformed into speech that is more effective, you know, that is more meaningful, that doesn't cause harm. So that's the essential of it is like, how do we not cause harm and how can we support wisdom, um, reduction of suffering, et cetera. Um, but it's funny because for me, speech and knowing that it's a tied to right speech in Buddhism often evokes a little bit of like the rule-based mm -hmm. approach to, to speaking. Um, it's, like again, I don't... It's, a, it's like playing music, isn't it? I mean, the precepts are there to help you learn your scales. And well, once you've is, learned your a... scales, you can freestyle. You can then start playing jazz because you've, you've created these sort of this would be a better feedback loops. I think that would be a more integral understanding because like when these things arose, it was like, no, that's the, that's it. Right. You know, that's the yeah. deal. It's like, no renunciation is the deal. That's, and yep. in some contexts, still in a traditional context, you might find people who say, no, this is it. You got to follow rules and there's limitations with it. It's more of an Amber kind of orientation, but like what you're saying, I think it definitely can have a place. It's like, well, I'm going to consciously use some rules. I do that all the time, like for behavioral changes and things like that. It's like, yeah, just, I'm going to implement this until I don't need that anymore. Right. Um, and so like, or foundation, you know, pra practice the scale. So what would that be like, you know, in speech? Well, it could be like, for example, and again, I go to call a show inhabiting. And so it's like, well, let me slow things down. I'm going to do a formal practice and I'm going to try to inhabit myself attuned to being rest and being. And then I'm going to try to speak, you know, even just words out loud to nobody. Can I stay attuned to this while reading a piece of paper? Can I then stay attuned to that while speaking to a good friend? Can I then do that while speaking to somebody who triggers me? You know, like you can set this up like contained kind of uh, formal practices, you know, and work way up until it's really organic. But the thing is, we can't take ourselves out of the organic environment. We still continue. So this is the thing is like in Buddhism, you can enter into a renunciative uh, environment where, yeah, it's contained and, 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 and all the conditions are geared towards what you want to do, but like out in the world, it's just chaos. Right? right. So for me, that's distinguished those different levels and like, which way am I working with? And I think they're all really useful, like formal practice with limitations, uh, vows, constraints can be really, really good. And then like, how do I bridge the gap and practice up this full spectrum, mm. um, in really simple ways. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, no, I love that. And I love that invitation because, you know, it's one of the patterns that I see happening so frequently is, you know, look, we live in um, a world, we live in a world, <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie trailer, a movie trailer there <laughs> yeah. in a world that is dominated by a perspectival madness. No, we live in We live in a yeah. media world where yep. profits are made by stressing conflicts, yep. right? Right. Yep. That's yep. I mean, our entire media industry and and this seeps into other, you know, sort of industries as well are governing uh, the whole mm -hmm. sort of lower right shebang is yep. sort of fueled these days by stressing conflicts. Now, here's the thing. 
we see that not just in our media, but we also see it in our culture and how we treat each other. We also see it in our own consciousness because these things all co-arise, right? If, if, media ends up shaping our consciousness, which ends up, ends up shaping how we relate together, which ends up shaping how we uh, behave in the world, mm -hmm. which then in turn reshapes, you know, technologically and sort of how we self-organize as a society. So all of the, there's a feedback loop between all of these quadrants and all these zones at all times. And for me, just practicing the simplicity, the, the simplicity of mm -hmm. something like right speech helps kind of slow those feedback yeah, it, down and it and it helps remind good. us i think that by stressing the conflicts in whatever quadrant we find it we're creating stress and we're creating conflict mm -hmm. and here's the thing when you create stress you create more conflict because stress affects us neurologically right mm -hmm. we get our amygdalas start to flare up we begin mm -hmm. to lose sort of our capacity for reason we 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 allow passions to get the better of us we what ends up happening is we reconsolidate to a previous stage that's a little bit more stable than sort of the the later stage that we're trying to mm -hmm. inhabit because that's what stress does to it you you put a drop of cortisol into a you know into a bloodstream mm -hmm. and yeah. all of a sudden the stages the gap between our interpersonal stage yeah. and our intrapersonal stage just opens right up because we are no longer capable of speaking from our highest selves yeah. however we want to conceive that we are literally our brain chemistry will not allow it when yeah. we are hyper stressed well, out especially when we're stressed out for long periods of time and speaking speaking of all that you know you bring up you know upper right quadrant there which is a funny thing which can be easily missed by spiritual communities and philosophical communities that like our biology is really important so we can talk about like how to still stress and conflict and uh, affect our biology but we also can do things physically biologically to help change our state you know right. i mean this is what happens when we take a psychedelic except that's really really intense but like you know exercise and and diet all kinds of things in very simple ways you know everybody yeah. get caught up in like their special i used to say being in boulder that uh diet uh, diet and nutrition it was the new religion you know like how people feel about it but these are things not to leave out i mean they can affect speech you know yes it's like yeah so if you got a lot of cortisol in your system it's going to uh, affect it now i got to do mark <laughs> rubio <laughs> that wasn't nearly awkward enough yeah, I know. <laughs> I need to feel more pressure. Yeah, well, to me, it's, behind it's, me, the other thing too, Ryan, is that it's a <clears throat> reminder. The reason why I love that Buddhist frame is that it's a reminder that our words are not inert. Yeah. Right. Our right. words have impact <clears throat> often in ways that we will never see or understand. Right. But every word we speak either verbally or even just our, in our own minds, yep. ricochet and ripple hmm. out and yep. influence future expressions again yeah, yeah. either verbal or in our own right. minds right it's it sort of everything we say everything that we try to communicate and how we try to communicate it sort of formats the hard drive in a slightly mm -hmm. different way yeah right and yeah. when we allow ourselves to for example participate in hateful speech whether we're just thinking it to ourselves or we actually allow it to erupt at each other right yep. that actually creates conditions that make more hateful speech more likely yeah, yeah. in the future as yep. we begin to sort of associate that coping mechanism with these literal 
you know, chemical states in our own brain. This is just what I do when I get pissed off. Uh Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to track the damage that we actually inflict when we do this unconsciously. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's no room for anger or even rage or righteous indignation when, I mean, all of this can be expressed within sort of the construct of right speech. It's about being able to consciously manage it. Right. And to, and to, and to not slip into this unconscious repeating of patterns and behaviors that only end up hurting other people yeah. as well as ourselves. Corey, you just gave a great little Dharma talk on, on right speech. Ooh. I think that was, that was good. <laughs> you, you nailed it to me. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, that's the whole deal is like the slowing down, how these things become unconscious. And this is why you apply something like right speech is to slow it down and become aware of it and aware of the impact and the, and you know, you, you said it all great. And you can use formal terms like karma, you know, and cyclical yes. existence. That's what it means there in a very simple way. It's like this continues and continues and continues with that being a foundation. Then we can, if we work with that enough to slow it down, to say like, okay, this is happening. And I'm no longer ensnared completely unconsciously, like 24 seven, I can see like the three passions in Buddhism, you know, like functioning. Okay. Then we can work with it more, you know, we can work with it more transformative ways even to the point of like in from a waking up perspective, you know, wrathful deities, which, you know, if we're talking about anger, it's like the wrathful deities are completely wrathful. They, they are like drinking blood from a skull and they got like weapons and standing on corpses and all kinds of things. So they're not fucking around, you know? So there's, there's an intense energy there, but it is a liberated energy. So it's not mm-hmm. like, Oh, we're just calling ourselves enlightened and being pissed off. Um, but slowing down, you know, like in yeah. practice and, and working with speech directly, you know, in some way, communication. Um, I think that's really, really useful. Um, and I, I just go back to the practice. I mentioned some form of that. It's like, okay, whatever state I, uh, a person may be cultivating, whatever quality we may be cultivating, it's like, okay, can we inhabit that? Whatever we consider right. good. And then what is it like to speak from that place? Right. And notice and don't, don't expect to be perfect. Be, just be curious. And I think for me, like in tantric Buddhism, there's a deep sense of curiosity um, and if you go even further, like, so Jinnamamuja, like everything is arising on its own accord and liberated automatically needs nothing. Well, then reality is inherently creative and inherently curious. Mm. So I can kind of like let go and see what patterns are habitually arising, <laughs> you know, uh, with a little bit more laughter, even if it's also painful and then say, okay, let's work with this because it matters, you know, and that's to me, integral takes us is an, uh, like what the fourth turning of Buddhism, like Ken will talk about, we can say like, okay, we're not just going to stop at waking up, you know, even through three turnings and say like, what's happening here matters. So let's work with speech, you know, yeah. in an integral way that can consider and conceive of developmental levels and stages. Yeah. Cause yeah. without that, it's like, gosh, what are we going to do with right speech? Right. How do I, even if I am doing great in a, therapeutic way like if i can't acknowledge developmental stages how good is speech going to be in today's culture wars <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly i, mean, I don't know because yeah, a big part of right speech is also going to be skillful communication right it's, yeah. not, it's not just this sort of idealized you know everything <laughs> yeah. say has to be god's self and all that and you know but... right and speaking of that and then bringing us back full circle to like when we were talking about how it's great to see organic expression of integral thinking without it even being tied in any way. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that's bad to be tied. It's just like really encouraging to see different forms. And I've been noticing slowly and slowly where I know we've talked about different, you know, like uh, films and television, things like that. 
And we can go back to a movie like The Matrix, you know, and, and Ken was the commentator along with Cornell West. Yep. But seeing it show up even more in like, not like the blockbuster, like that we're still talking about that movie, you know, decades later kind of thing, like just normal random shows and things like that. Well, there's another one. I don't know if you've seen it, but Vince and I have been talking about it on say HBO, Minx. Hmm. Ah, first of all, I just, you, I don't even care about this conversation. I I love it. It's freaking hilarious. But to, to me, it's the first time again, where I go, wow, this is kind of organically integral because I don't think anybody, Oh wow. I don't, I don't hear anybody using integral language. I don't have any sense right. that somebody like, Oh, I read this book, but it deals with uh, feminism in particular. And it clearly embrace, like it clearly embraces the evolution of feminism and like brings up really key points so it's not just washing away, but then also criticizes an immature form of that, but doing it all from an integral level. And <laughs> you got to watch it, Corey, because I think when you watch it, you'll want to like maybe make commentary and bring it into one of our shows at some point. But for me, it's just another example. So we talk about integral speech, integral communication. It happens through art. It happens through music. It happens through movies. It happens through uh, critical journalism. But to me, like, it makes me stop. I just want to think about like, wow. They did that in a way where this show is just enjoyable. And it just happens to be because we're integral nerds, you know, that I have that thought and they're like, wow. And like literally, literally one of the lines, which out of context is like, well, who cares? But it was in response to a really intense, like growing up moment. And, and one of the person says, because grow the fuck up. That's why. <laughs> and, and, but like in the context of this whole, sh whole show, it feels like the integral growing up. Like right. this is what we mean, but it happens in all a really funny way. It's really well cast. It really, it had to be done just how it is done because otherwise I think a lot of people might've rail against it in some way, but really good. So I wanted to and, throw it out there. And repeat the title one more time. Minx, M-I-N-X. Super, super funny. Definitely rated R. Uh, so <laughs> it's a comedy, but uh, well done. And anybody who's watching this show, I think like if you watch it, it's going to be very hard to not just think integral light bulbs, you know, going off in addressing a, it addresses an issue, but does it in an entertaining way. So for me, these, this, this is a sign because it's not heavy handed in the sense of like, we're going to be integral. It's like, it just is. And yeah. so like, yeah, the more organic we see this, the more encouraged I feel because I'm like, ah, oh, these forms are popping up on their own. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, that is exciting. And, and again, it just makes you feel like, um, Regardless of where it's coming from, this is all part of this ongoing grand unfolding. Yep. And everything is right on time. Everything yeah. is right on time, yeah. right? We have yeah. all the right problems that are creating the right kinds of pains. And I don't say that in an insensitive way because yeah. there is genuine suffering out there. But we as human beings, particularly as primates, tend not to do anything until we feel pain. That's just yeah. how we work. We're freaking chimpanzees <laughs> with smartphones, right? Yeah. We don't do anything. We don't proactively head things off at the pass. We yeah. only solve problems once the pain gets too Big much enough. for us yeah. to endure. And yeah. I think that is where we are now. And I think mm -hmm. in a sense, this can, this can allow us to uh, <clears throat> even readjust our relationship with pain and suffering. Like yeah. these things, it's not meaningless. It feels meaningless when you are in the midst of despair, but it's all turning into rocket fuel somehow, hopefully for you, yeah. but if not for you, almost certainly for others.
And mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm, again, I'm hoping that we're reaching this tipping point of mm -hmm. fear, anxiety, pain, uh, alienation, disconnection, mm -hmm. loneliness, that all culminates into suicide, right? I'm hoping mm -hmm. this pain is enough to sort of erupt into a new, well, just more yeah. expect better expectations for how we should be mm -hmm. doing this human game together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm glad that we started here talking about again, right speech and sort of, again, this Quaker idea of let the, that, let the next words come from your higher self, because this is like, this is an enfoldment mechanism that we can install into our own personal operating system right now. Like you watching this at home right now, you can make a commitment. You can say, you know what? Yes, I am going to begin a right speech practice and I'm going to try to, uh, you know, wrap some mindfulness around that so that when I'm communicating to anyone on the internet or talking to my mom on the phone or whatever it might be, I sort of can feel this mechanism doing its work, you know, in my own interiors. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us, I think, to another stage where, okay, that's sort of what we can do intrapersonally within ourselves. How do we now do this interpersonally? Mm -hmm. What is an enfoldment mechanism that we can place between us, right? That can kind of keep us a little bit, I don't know, on the right track, or at least keep us uh, in a genuinely communal relationship with each other mm -hmm. where we can actually create shared reality with each other mm -hmm. rather than just kind of completely talking across each other yeah, yeah. all the time um yeah. so this this will lead us into the next section um yeah. unless you have any any comments you'd like no to no make. i was yeah gonna start talking about that but go ahead so i i did this interview with um stefan schultz from spiegel magazine i published it uh a couple of weeks ago on integral life and um it was it was an awesome really, really awesome discussion. I highly suggest people uh, check it out. And one of the things that we talked about uh, were some, what you know, he included in his presentation, some different strategies that he, that he sees at each stage of media, um, which he calls their conference culture. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I listened and I saw his presentation and it's just been sort of sticking with me. And I've been finding myself thinking about it a lot and actually seeing these dynamics playing out in all of these different communities that all of us are a part of. Right. Yeah. And so he actually goes through and he outlines and what I'll do is I'll just read mm. sort of a summary of these at each stage. And then we can kind of talk about them mm. all, all together. So at the Amber stage, um, this is sort of a top-down communication style. This is just basically pure talking points. Perspectives are handed down through a perceived media or institutional authority, and then repeated, usually uncritically, by adherence to that ideology, whatever it might be, right? We see this a lot. Mm -hmm. Early orange. So one of the things Stefan does is he doesn't just say amber, orange, green. He breaks orange into two stages, uh, which reflects like Suzanne Cook Reuters work, for example, where we've got early orange, which we sometimes call umber, uh, which is the expert mm -hmm. stage, and then late orange, mature orange, which is the achiever stage. So at the early orange expert stage, this is debate culture, where the goal is always to compare the most idealized version of your own perspective, which is often established via amber top-down communication, comparing that to the most negative straw man depiction of the other's perspective. Here, we see critical thinking as primarily meaning I need to be critical of everyone else's point of view. 
Mm-hmm. And the goal here is oftentimes to basically walk away feeling like the smartest person in the room. You want to feel like the expert, mm-hmm. right? And then at the late orange stage, this is more like dialogue culture. So we go from debate to dialogue. And the point here is not necessarily to win a conversation, though that can take place as well. We do call this the achiever stage after all, uh, but it's actually more about learning more about each other's views and values. Uh, These dialogues can certainly take the form of debate when they need to, but not the bad faith kind of debate that we see at early orange, which likes to make characters and and straw men out of opposing views. Instead, here, there's more emphasis not on straw manning each other, but steel manning each other. In other words, I need to give the most uh, accurate summary of your point of view as I can before I try to criticize it, right? Rather than criticizing an exaggerated caricature of your argument that I have in my own head. Uh, Here we see critical thinking means not just I need to be critical of everyone else's point of view, but most importantly, I need to be critical of my own point of view. And this is, I think, something that comes online in a big way at that late orange stage. This brings us to green, where we go from, again, debate at early orange, dialogue at late orange, to something like discourse culture at green. Here, the dialogue is opened up to far more perspectives, which can produce a far more robust conversation with a pluralism of informative perspectives across a very wide spectrum of thought. Uh, I think we should know that at this stage, oftentimes alternative perspectives are, are, are actively prioritized over more mainstream or orthodox or dominant perspectives. Uh, it often lacks a way to navigate all of these accumulated perspectives or to recognize which of them might be more relevant, more germane, more legitimate than others. Again, this points to the lack of an enfoldment mechanism, which we've been talking about throughout this show and certainly throughout other shows as well. Uh, This is the stage that many most of our social media platforms currently run on. It's discourse culture. However, (laughs) that discourse, that total body of discourse can be coming from any of these stages. So there's a lot of debate There's a lot of early orange expert level debate happening in discourse culture. There's a lot of dialogue happening in discourse culture. And of course, there's genuine discourse taking place in discourse culture. I think the point here is that if you are at at one of the earlier stage, you cannot inhabit the tactics and the strategies of the higher stages. But if you're at a higher stage, you can enact the the, the strategies of the lower stages as appropriate, Mm -hmm. right? And then we get to the teal stage. I like to call this enfoldment culture. So again, we go from sort of top-down communication to debate culture, to dialogue culture, to discourse culture, to enfoldment culture. This is where participants have done the inner work to dislodge their identity from their political or ideological views, allowing them to have more robust conversations, to rethink or enhance their own positions, and to distinguish partial truths from less than partial truths, whether in themselves or in other people around them. You can still be passionately invested in a discussion or a set of ideas, but there's much more, much less grasping since that passion is just another subject that we can easily turn into object. Um, and it has much more capacity to fold together seemingly irreconcilable truths, often by using methods like polarity management, 
integral truth claims and stage specific interpretations of truth, which is exactly what I'm trying to do in this presentation is showing stage specific interpretations of mm -hmm. how just to relate with each other. Mm -hmm. Now, I myself see when I look at the integral community, I see all of this. I see all of this. I see a mm -hmm. lot of people coming in with sort of a debate mentality, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to look at you know, for example, I've been talking here for probably five minutes now. Someone might come in if they're coming from the debate culture, find the one thing they can disagree with, <laughs> and then discard the 98% of everything else I said. You're going to mm -hmm. see much less of that at a dialogue level and far less of it at a genuine discourse level. And then, of course, at an enfoldment level, we do a much better job of actually identifying and integrating each other's truths as partial as they may be. We want to build on each other's arguments, not sort of cut each other down, right? Mm -hmm. We want to plus each other. We don't want to subtract from each mm -hmm. other for our own personal gain or social right. credit or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. So I see these as, a very, an, again, another enfoldment mechanism, just mm -hmm. simply noticing these different stages, right, of, of intersubjective, interpersonal contact that we have with each other can mm -hmm. help us call ourselves out when we feel like we're really only engaging in, you know, maybe one of these levels. Mm -hmm. It can be a reminder to like, okay, I am doing a little bit of grasping here. Or like, oh, my emotions are kind of flared up right now. How can I turn my, my sort of desire to debate? Let's, let's bring it up one tick. Let's bring it out of debate and into dialogue, right? It just mm -hmm. becomes a, another set of guardrails that we can hopefully consciously use in order to have just better, more skillful enactments of each other. Not just the conversations between yeah. us, but like so that I can better inhabit your point of view, you can better inhabit my point of view. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Boom, we just created a shared reality that didn't mm -hmm. exist a few moments ago before we decided to do that. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, and just looking at all these options here for the different levels, uh, I think too, you know, just like we say with every developmental level, you can transcend and include those. So like we may devolve, you know, uh, based on shadow work and things like that. But also, we can have a little bit more fluidity in choosing when to engage one of these, because sometimes maybe one is more appropriate than other, right? Yep. Uh, depending on the context and circumstance. So that's the other thing is like, you know, one is just seeing those developmental levels and honoring, say, like, okay, this person is at this, you know, orange level, you know, debate, and that's how where they're at. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, I got to figure out how to skillfully interact with them. Or it's like, oh, I've devolved to that, that debate thing. How do I free myself up to not be limited to that? Or it's like, hey, actually, maybe a debate uh, approach would be the best thing in this moment for whatever particular reason. Yep. And I think that's really interesting coming online there. I think strategically, like it, it's a theory of, of like an obvious that this is possible, but seeing it actually happen in the world, this is what's going to unfold. <laughs> it's yeah. like seeing how that actually takes place of like knowing when to deploy which strategy at what moment in what context that's the key right there that's the key because each one does transcend and include the other which is why i said if you're at the higher stages <laughs> yeah. you're still capable of of the strategies that come with the earlier stages if you're at an earlier stage you are not capable of the strategies coming from higher stages now mm -hmm. this is important i think because you know, sometimes when we like to imagine integral unfolding, we, we imagine it as this like purely kind of bottom up, like 
we need to get to the next level and then get to the yeah. next level and push everything up as much as mm-hmm. as much yeah. as we possibly can but the opposite is equally true like for example you know when we shift from green to teal when we take that momentous leap mm-hmm. from first tier to second tier it's not just a reaching up it's also a reaching down mm-hmm. it's a befriending of all the prior stages of development in ourselves not just in the world around mm-hmm. us but also within ourselves that we have most likely made an enemy out of mm-hmm. right yeah. so there's this simultaneous it's it's not just a reaching up to teal it's a it's sort of a full spectrum embrace of mm-hmm. all the stages and all the wisdoms the unique yeah. wisdoms that emerge from each of these stages and then knowing how to use that to navigate. I mean, as you Mm -hmm. say, Ryan, if I'm, if you're coming from purely, you know, you're kind of emotionally flared up, you're making caricatures out of my arguments and you're, Mm -hmm. you're comparing the best of your argument to the worst of mine. You're in that early orange kind of debate, right? Mm -hmm. I can sit here. If I'm green, if I just discourse all day, (laughs) no shared reality is actually created i'm taking the wrong strategy to you know for this relationship that's in front of me at this moment right now so what i might do instead is say you know i'm going to try to take more of a dialogue i'm going to try to you know i'm going to take a half step above where i see you coming from Uh right so that hopefully we can up level this whole sort of dynamic uh between us right that's that's where i think these kinds of maps become first just to notice but then to actually select an appropriate strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. I think that's where the work is at. <laughs> so, the, you know, uh, we, it's a good part one, part two of, of like, you know, looking at like how we work with individually, like with whatever is going on for us. But then it's like, yeah, okay, what does this look like uh, in culture, you know, and in groups? <laughs> yep. yep. Society. Mm-hmm. Well, the other point I want to make about this, just because I find it interesting is, um, you know, I, I often caution people against the temptation to make an object out of other people's subjects, right? To do this, like, you're so green crap that we see often with, like, really immature expressions of integral. Yep. You know, it's kind of like, I've got this new color by number kind of right. model, and I'm just going to squeeze everything however I can. Reality is way more complicated than that, first yeah. off. Second off, you don't actually have any access to someone's interior unless you're in an intimate relationship with them. So the thought that you can sort of glean their cosmic address through sort of the little thin layer of the iceberg that's poking above the surface that we actually have access to, especially on the internet, right? Which is the smallest tip of the iceberg you can actually imagine. I think it's it's a fool's errand to think that we can actually assess each other in that way. And that's why I always resist this kind of reconstruction of each other's interiors and you know Mm -hmm. clearly you're coming from amber right now and you know i'm coming from integral and all that shit um it's abusive it's rude is really what it comes down to it's a rude thing to do however (laughs) Mm -hmm. got a caveat on that because i think when we're when we're looking at these different strategies of engaging with each other Mm -hmm. all of these are products of the interpersonal line and the interpersonal line is by nature intersubjective. And the word intersubjective means you need at least two subjects, mm. right? There's a contact that's taking place between two subjects. And I mm. think that when it comes to the intersubjective line, we can get a fairly, not a, not a, 
not a sense of who you are totally at all times of your life. Like what's your stage of interpersonal growth? I can't get that, but I do get a good taste of like, what is it right now at this moment? Mm -hmm. Right. I can get a good taste of your subject because it's enmeshed with my subject right now as we're having this conversation, but Mm -hmm. that's important. I think the thing that's important to remember there is oftentimes, again, especially in periods of stress, our interpersonal line consolidates far below our intrapersonal line. So we might ordinarily have a center of gravity that's like, let's say green to teal. But if we're really stressed out, we're going to we're going to descend. We're going to sort of find a, a resting place at an earlier stage that just feels more stable to us in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's where our interpersonal line can sometimes sort of that can that can determine how we use our interpersonal line yeah. to communicate. So it's not that like this gives us a magic window into each other's souls, but it does tell us something about how we're relating to each other right now, which I think allows us to kind of like, hey, you know, I, I, I feel like you're kind of making a caricature out of me. I feel like you're kind of straw manning me a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. let's do a little bit better and see if we can raise the discourse. Yeah. Um, and that feels that feels valuable. Definitely. And, you know, I've gone back to the uh, practical suggestions from earlier of like, look at what context, because even saying like how messy it all is really like, you know, and talking about how you're saying very difficult to make an object <laughs> in a nice, neat way, but it's often based on context. So it could be like, oh, with good friends who we really love, you know, ah, no, we cruise at the higher <laughs> altitude. Mm-hmm um a more particular challenging relationship or a particular challenging we a group we find challenging well then we might devolve so it's like where and when and where do we get stressed and identify those circumstances and then identify what actually happens in experience that's the real thing and i think like the more that we do that the the less likely we were going to paint somebody into like a, a simple box because right. it's like well if i feel in constantly to how much shifts moment to moment in my own experience and uh in better and worse ways it's like okay well that doesn't mean not not like you said not to like acknowledge and act on that because uh, to not do that would be like you know i don't know like idiot compassion or something like that right just sort of like or lack wisdom but it's like no okay but one bias there in terms of right speech in terms of a formal practice could be like well let me bias towards honoring where that person is coming from and let me have that be my orientation um if if i want to make an object you know, out of their subject. And then if that gets a really positive response, well, then it kind of confirms it. You know, if it doesn't get a positive response and it's kind of like, wait, what are you talking about? Well, then maybe you're off. (laughs) No, that's, 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 um, I'd, I'd say that's actually one of the more important points that we've made in this talk, Ryan, because it really is all context based. We are different people in different contexts, right? It's not like, oh, I'm, teal and therefore everything i say is always teal 24 7 <laughs> or yeah. you know what i mean or like even even that like 50 percent of the things that i say and do are going to be teal it's yeah. all context dependent if i'm right. playing a video game and i'm shooting people in the face i'm not very teal in that moment i'm like <laughs> fuck you i'm gonna annihilate you <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. i mean and, yeah, and that's okay there's enough space of con- that's the beautiful thing is that there's enough space of consciousness to inhabit all actually of that's good that practice that you just said there is I think that's actually something that's healthy to do in integral is like to fill that out, like totally. go play, go play a video game where you like, we did the, the game 
episode, but it's like, we'll play a game where you have to be a team and it's all about you having your team colors and your team banner, your whatever tribe and like flex that muscle and see like, hey, guess what? It feels good because it is part of who we are, you know? That's right. That's what Teal helps loosen is that that either addiction or in most cases an allergy to these lower stages and drives and impulses within ourselves when it's like, no man, that's your anatomy. Find healthy ways that feel good, whether it's watching sports or watch Olympics or who knows whatever it is, just find the amber thing and then find the orange bit and find. There was a YouTube comment on one of some other video that we posted on here. Uh, I can't remember who it was from, but they, they were recalling Ken Wilbur himself saying something like, you know, most days I spend most of my time at beige. Hmm. And, and it's kind of like a funny throwaway, like no, self-deprecating thing, but it's yeah, also yeah. like, no, we yeah. eat and we shit. It's not yeah. like I'm eating turquoise right now. It sounds like a good book. That's right. But you know, the idea no. being like, it's all context bound. And this is, I think a, a criticism that a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, even sort of integral scholars have at the integral framework as it's commonly held. It's held as this like totally categorical thing. And once you yeah. are something, you're at that thing and that's yeah. who you are when it's like, it, it's so like, yeah. man, hanging out with you and Vince, for example, I feel yeah. a different, a different bandwidth of yeah. permissions to be yeah. more of myself than if I was <laughs> hanging out with like, my old college friends or something like that. That bandwidth is going to be more narrow. It's probably going to be a little bit lower down in my system. And that's okay too. I can inhabit that. I will be that person in that context. And hopefully when I show up to do a show like this with you, I can be a different person in this context. Yeah. You know, it's funny to be in context. So like uh, with um, taking uh, private swim classes at the Y so I can feel better about that. And I using the triathlon to like my motivation. but I'm not like, you know, obsessed with it. Like I might be at a very different developmental level, but I'm like full on in it. I'm like, hell yeah. Like I'm getting really into it and talking to my swim coach is funny. <clears throat> he's a, uh, I don't know where he's at, but didn't, didn't strike me as like an integral <laughs> person, but he, I really like him in that context. It's like, that's what I want my swim coach to be is like achievement oriented, you know, focus, practical, that kind of thing. And I remember telling him one day that like, you know, one thing I got going for me, even though there's a lot of things that I really suck at with swimming is uh meditation and embodiment practice. And I, I said something to that effect to him. And it was kind of just like a, eh, all right. <laughs> you know, just a, like, like, let's not talk about that. Yeah. You know, like he's not, he's not interested. He does not come from that's That's totally fine. I'm not going to be like, Hey, we got to really get into this thing. It's like, no, I just didn't, I enjoyed the hanging out with them for the swim lessons and I appreciate his help, but it's different context. So I'm going to talk about different things with different people. And it's nice to be able to be fluid like that. Yeah. <laughs> so and it, just, that, that, it just feels better. Yeah. <laughs> and that fluidity, I think, is is one of the real gifts of of integral because again, yeah. we've it's been explicated for ourselves. It's like, no, you need to, here's all the different dimensions of you, right? Here's yeah. all the all the sort of stratifications and strategies yeah. that come out of the stratifications and you know all yeah. that here's everything that you are and you now have the capacity and the freedom and the permission to be all of it as appropriate it's probably, from context to context tremendously liberating it's probably like now coming down to it i would i think i might adopt it as like a growing up practices uh, to recommend to people is to find really enjoyable ways in whatever form it is that's not harmful to others or yourself of like 
go find ways to express that kind of level for yourself. So like mm-hmm. an Amber, if it's like being a team, you know, mm-hmm. and like whatever, okay, go do that. You know, like find something where you really enjoy it so you can feel the goodness in that level for yourself <laughs> uh, and and see what happens, you know? Yep. Because then it'll be a little easier to like deal with the parts that uh, that aren't so good that are, that's right. that need the guardrails. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's why I often, we oftentimes get questions uh, in the in integral communities about things like, hey, you know, I'm trying to, I'm just beginning to learn about integral and yeah. the map is telling me that I have certain beliefs or proclivities that maybe are a little bit more magical, right? Yeah, might be a little right. bit more magenta. How mm-hmm. do I get rid of those so that I can be more integral? And my whole thing is always mm-hmm. like, why do you feel like you need to get rid of them? Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're a baseball player and you really think that like this little totem, whatever it might be, you know, this sock that you wear, whatever it might be. If you really feel like that little superstition is giving you that much extra edge. I mean, first off, placebo is a hell of a drug. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, One of the most effective drugs out there. So even if we, you know, we want to take that rational view of it, it really doesn't matter. Like let some of that magic into your life. Don't feel like you hold it like be yeah, let it be like that because it would be too quickly to like slap the placebo label on it, which doesn't let you just enjoy the magic of it. But of course, a lot of times with that, I automatically go hang out some, hang out with your kids or or some kid, you know, because and and enter into their magic world, and then it's inevitable you're just gonna like find yourself letting go into magenta, you know, and you don't have to think about it and analyze it and be like, well, this isn't real. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you just go yeah. with the magic of it. Yep. And, That's and why I fun. still love watching fantasy movies. This is why movies I, are really good way of uh, feeling yep. it. Yeah. Magic. And uh, yeah. I want to get an integral Dungeons and Dragons crew going because I feel like we would nice. have the best game of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> ever made. Nice. Um, that would just be so much fun, but these are ways to kind of recontact some of these. Yeah, really, and the same is true of red. Right. Well, go, back, I, go back to our, our the, the movie episode. You know, yeah that yeah did. exactly that's a good way to just like enjoy it like don't analyze it etc you just like enjoy it like i love some harry potter movies it's just yeah. like yeah give me the magic yep perfect example you can watch a harry potter music and get yep. totally absorbed in that like imaginal yep. world that uh-huh. very very magenta to red world yep. right yep. without having to also carry in your green concerns about the author's <laughs> transphobia or yeah. you know what I mean? But, like, whereas like if you're at green, yeah. chances are you can't separate those very well. The the artifact yeah. and the artist are just kind of fused together. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like, yeah. well, no, give yourself permission to let some of that shit go. Yeah. Just let yeah, it go. The both end thing, right? Yep. <laughs> hey, I still listen to, you know, I we, there's something probably a topic for a future episode, Ryan. But you know, the sort of um when an artist does something bad and how yeah. that or if that changes our perception of the artwork. Like I noticed, like I can't watch Kevin Spacey movies because <laughs> I I can't separate the persona from the person, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. However, I will still turn the volume up if a Michael Jackson song comes on. Well, you know, it might be. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying there's more way, distance. There's more distance, but also too, it might be just how significant the work is. You know, like Michael Jackson to me. I mean, it's just by there's many people's standards, memories. it's just like yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, like how historical and revolutionary, like somebody was in their work, like Michael Jackson. I mean, you can go from objective analysis and just be like changed music, you know, changed pop music and the level of craftsmanship was just bananas. So it's like, yeah, 
and Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, like he's not like a, he wasn't a chump actor, you know, but like mm-hmm. if it were Tom Hanks, for example, in terms of the, the the body of work Tom Hanks is producing tomorrow comes out, Tom Hanks is somehow some yeah, really hey, bad guy. QAnon already believes he is. Uh, I like know. I remember the QAnon thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think there's sometimes that happens, you know, um, and it has to do with the, the profundity of the art artwork which of course we label as all oh, it's always purely subjective but you know we can have some objective markers but it is an interesting thing it's a fu- it's a fun tangent to go down and again yeah, yeah. It's, it's something we should we should pick up another yeah, one I, I often use the example of um you know i think stand-up comics actually get the brunt of this where like it's it's probably hardest to separate the the performer from the person when it comes to stand-up comics because there's an authenticity of comedy right yep. there's just something about comedy where it's it's sitting right on our, our, our zone four line of like yep. what's permissible to say yep. or not say, which is how this fits into yeah. our, our habit, your speech. No, um, you know, there's, there's permissions. A- so Bill Cosby, for example, his early shit is no longer funny to me. Mm. I can't listen to it. And mm. the reason is that comedy itself depends on an image of righteousness and authenticity. This is family-based, healthy Amber in a lot of ways, family-based comedy. Dad is great. He makes us Uh chocolate cake, you know, that type of shit, (laughs) which gets completely undermined as soon as you know who the person actually is and what Mm -hmm. they were capable of when he was telling these jokes. So that to me ruins the comedy. I can't salvage Mm. Bill Cosby comedy. However, I still think Louis CK is funny. Yep. Well, yeah, different. Uh, yeah, there's going to be different. Um, because we already knew he was a scumbag. <laughs> well, there's different things because, yeah, yeah, you know, like, and, and we're, we're definitely going to do that uh, episode on stamp comics. Yes. Um, but yeah, that was a thing for me is like with Louis C.K. was was like who he presented himself as. And then what we found out, the gap was very small. Like, to be honest, it's just like if people are being honest, like if people aren't honest, be like, oh my gosh, it's like, you're not being real it's like, okay it, of all people yeah it's like doesn't it doesn't excuse anything but it was just like not, not far off from it just wasn't a gap where it compared what bill cosby presented and who he turned out to be the gap was enormous you know even the stories outside of it about him calling up other comics and being like why do you like uh, eddie murphy why do you have to say fuck you know it's just like oh, you're a dickhead man it's like you're you're having that conversation with what you were doing you know so like it changes a lot but, you know, also, and we'll get into that episode too, like in talking about communication and culture is just like stand-up comics are also a product of our culture. Like they, they yes. fulfill something for us on our behalf that they're we in, don't. They're in the vanguard of our culture. Yeah. Like where we, it's so easy to treat them as individuals and, and distance ourselves, but it's like, no, they exist because we want them to exist. And we're like, please process all of our collective shadows through humor yes. until you do something <laughs> and we have to you know, pretend like we don't know you. But I did watch five, the first time I watched a Louis C.K. clip uh, like two nights ago. I just haven't got around to see anything. And I was like, he's really good at his craft. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> he's a good storyteller. I, it's not, not an excuse or anything, but I was just like, yeah, he's good. He's good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyways, well, we'll save a lot more of that for another episode because there's a lot to talk about. I know. No, that was that was a good tease for the future comedy yep. episode that we've been yep. sort of cooking up for a few months now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we just need to, you know, have the so time. It's a lot clips. of organization. Yeah, um, like the video, it's like our film clip and, and video yeah. game episode. It's gonna take a little bit of work. Yep. yep. 
Well, dude, this has been cool. awesome. It's funny. I went to bed last night and I was kind of stressed out for the show. I'm like, I've got this thing about stages of, of engagement with each other. I don't, yeah. I don't know what else, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to float a whole show? Yeah. And like, I woke up this morning and it was just like, oh shit, we've got like a lot to talk about today. Boom. Thank goodness so, for you, Corey. Um, hey, you as well, man. This has been, this has been mm-hmm. awesome. That's why I love doing this with you. Likewise, um, man. Yeah. We, we have so much fun. And again, this just feels so critical to me at this moment. So again, just to review for people, think about these different kinds of what what I'll call again, enfoldment mechanisms, simple little practices, injunctions, etc. that can that we can create in all four quadrants in our technology and social media, as well as in our communities and our culture, as well as in our behavior, right? And even our, our, our mental health, right? Our brain health, our physical health, Mm -hmm. and then in our consciousness, what are the kinds of enfoldment mechanisms that we can install into all these different dimensions of our operating system in order to be better, do better, feel more fulfilled, feel more um, engaged with each other in a truly authentic way so that we can, again, close the gap between this ideal world that we all want to live in that's somewhere out there past the horizon and this sort of fairly dystopian world we find ourselves in today. All of us together, I think, can do the work to bring those two worlds together. And uh, that's what gets me up in the morning, man. That's great. Great summary, man. Cool. Well, Ryan, I love you, buddy. I can't wait to uh, jump on Destiny with you. Sometimes it'll happen at some point. (laughs) Descend together. I know, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, good to see you. And uh, thanks to everybody who is uh, here in the live stream and later watching the replay. That's right. And we will catch you guys next month. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Bye.